Welcome everyone to our podcast. Again, the date is relevant. So this is being recorded on the morning of Thursday, the 3rd of November. Last night, Jerome Powell, head of the Fed in America, increased interest rates by 75 basis points. um, And it is expected that at midday today, the Bank of England will follow suit. If it does increase interest rates by three quarters of a percent, then our interest rates will be 3%, which is the highest they've been since the financial crisis. And it will be the biggest increase in UK base rate in the last 33 years. So I'm joined today by my partners, Robert and John, and we can discuss various things which are affecting markets at the moment, your investments. So let's start by asking, Robert, what do you think about this potential increase in base rates? Well, that's kind of you. I'm just uh, having a look at the BBC website. Anyway, the headline is UK interest rates, how high could they go? I mean, what a stupid headline. How high could they go? Who knows? As we've said before, some of us are older than others. And uh, some of us can remember back in the day when interest rates went to, I think it was 15% overnight under the uh, auspices of uh, Norman Lamont. So let's get real here. They're talking here on this website that they may go to four and three quarters. Well, gosh, yeah, they might. It wouldn't surprise me if they do. It wouldn't surprise me if they go further. But it strikes me, I'm sure John will have a, an observation about this, but it strikes me that talk about, you know, the horse has fled and we're now shutting the stable door. This is a classic case. It's what you have to do when you've lost control of inflation, isn't it? Which they were blissfully ignorant of. It's not that long ago. It's probably within the last 12 months that certainly the Fed and the Bank of England were using the word transitory but they don't use that anymore to it was quite obvious probably two years ago where this was going obvious that is uh, unless you're a member of a central bank board or or on some form of monetary authority where they were blissfully ignorant of it it's just another example of incompetent people believing what they want to believe rather than actually what's going to happen so they've totally lost control of it as you just said the the metaphor of slamming the the stable door long after the horse has bolted. This horse has, has bolted years ago. Due to their incompetence, they don't have any policy options now other than to crush inflation. So against the background of a recession or virtual imminent recession and a war in Ukraine, problems with energy prices, you're now having to jack rates up when in reality, it would have been far better to be in a position where you may have been able to to, to loosen the purse strings a little. So it's where incompetence leads you, I'm afraid. Yes, it's interesting that, John, there have been two announcements this morning. Swiss inflation has hit the dizzy heights of 3% and Turkish inflation has hit the dizzy height of 88%. Mm. And to coin your phrase, going back years and years and years, if the answer to becoming wealthy was simply printing money, then Zimbabwe would be the richest country in the world and the Swiss have got it fundamentally wrong. That's the thing about those pesky Swiss, isn't it? That They tend to get things right. Here we are again. They don't really have an inflationary crisis. They have a wonderful economy. They're orderly, sensibly run, and we're not. So the whole pretty much of the developed world, uh, ex-Switzerland, of course, is in the same boat. 
They've been printing money for far too long. They didn't normalise after the financial crisis. They were utterly clueless as to what was creeping up on them. And now they have no policy options. So it'll go where it needs to go. And let's not forget, if you're looking at double digit inflation, and we're talking about interest rates of 3%, you're still looking at negative real rates of 7%. So it's it could get a lot worse yet. It depends on how how much inflation you really wish to screw out of the system. How much do you really want to get on top of this problem? The answer to to the question regarding what Robert mentioned at the beginning is interest rates could keep on going up and up and up. Who knows where they might stop? I mean, again, another announcement this morning is that the CFO of Nationwide has said, worst case scenario, UK house prices could fall 30%. Now, there'll be people out there listening to us who own properties as as rental properties. But there is a world of difference of owning a paid-for rental property compared to a recently purchased buy-to-let flat on a 90% loan-to-value basis. It all depends where you are in that process of paying off your debt. The, The concept of debt, which I was brought up with, was that you always, always paid off your debt and you saved for whatever item you were wanting to buy. That concept seems to have been thrown out of uh, out of the window at all levels, whether it's government, corporate or personal. We all lease motor cars. Somebody was saying to me the other day that the leasing of motor cars now, it's almost doubled the monthly cost. Well, I mean, where do you go with that? People will be leasing their underwear next. We've ended up in a mad, mad place. And what we're looking at really is a slow painful grind back to logical ways of carrying on at all levels. So I I personally don't think that house prices will fall or property prices will fall 30%. What tends to happen in these circumstances is that prices weaken, transactions fall off a cliff. People say, well, if that's all I can get for my house, I'm not selling it. Uh, They may have negative equity. And so it just grinds to a halt and transactions fall to very low levels. Earnings then catch up and eventually it all starts again. So I suspect 30% is not a realistic number. Um, But if double digit inflation is here for some time, let's put it this way, there are going to have to be significant rate rises from here. If, and if is a small word with a, with a large meaning, if they really do intend to get on top of inflation, I am still not convinced that we may not end up at some point in a year or so where the message is really just let the inflation go. It will release the real debts of uh, of governments and individuals back to how things used to be you know decades ago where governments were quite happy just to inflate away their own debts so um i'm not convinced that powell and, and the rest of them are are truly on board with crushing inflation but at this moment in time they have no choices and they have to go one way and that way is clear
people who are listening to this podcast have assets and they want to protect the real values of them. Now, the obvious thing to me is, as we've discussed many, many times, is that fixed interest investments are not going to perform in the long term. If anything, you're going to you're almost guaranteed to lose the real purchasing power of that capital because I can't see there being deflation at any time soon. So it comes back to where is the best place to invest funds now? And we've seen the likes of Nestle and Unilever being able to pass on the majority of their input prices to their customers and the customers have continued to buy the goods. Yeah, um, we, we've mentioned before that bonds really weren't floating our boat uh, for quite some time. To me, as ever, a really, really investment. I, I want to own great businesses and I want to own them for almost forever, to quote Buffett. You only have to buy a great business once unless you, you see something change dramatically or gross overvaluation. You just have to slap your hand every time you think about selling it. And it may mean that you know this, this good business ends up for two years doing nothing that's no problem if you intend to own it for for in inverted commas forever so i don't think anything has dramatically changed in terms of what we do you know when you hear people say what's our investment policy for this quarter um it's just nonsense uh we won't be rotating into this that and the other we won't be underweight cyclicals overweight uncle tom cobbley we just want to own great businesses and we want to look at it as if you were going to buy the whole business and block. If you wanted to buy a business, what are the things you'd be looking for? What are the things you would think about? The fact that you're only buying 100 shares shouldn't change that process. A lot keeps changing out there. But the longer one does this job, the more one realizes that what you actually need to do doesn't change at all. The great thing is that most people don't think that way. So they can crack on and do whatever they wish to do. But um, as ever, you know, we do for clients what we do for ourselves. I wonder, John, if I could go back to you said just now um, the governments seem to be quite happy to release their real debts and therefore sit on inflation. Could you explain that a bit further for uh, our listeners? Simply means that if you've lent the government X, the, the government will happily pay you back X. But of course, what the real value of X will be at some point in the future is a slightly different matter. And if you had been a guilt investor throughout the 1960s and 1970s, your real returns after inflation were, were dreadful because, in essence, the government uh, had the, the privilege of borrowing money far too cheaply. They, they paid you back in, 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 in £50 notes, as it were. But what was the real value of those £50 notes that they paid you back in? So they can nominally repay you, but in real terms, um, once inflation is taken into account, if you look at the 60s and the 70s, it did start to change a bit in the 80s. But certainly in the 60s and 70s, guilt investors were absolutely, if not wiped out, literally. But their, their real returns were crushed. And that was because inflation was always too high for the guilt yields that were on offer. Perfect. Thank you. But of course, the, pro the problem with all that is you never realise that until afterwards. Um... <laughs> well, of course, that's what people are now talking about, isn't it? I mean, these 60-40 portfolios, they're questioning whether they, they will work going forward. Well, I mean, we questioned whether they would work sort of five, ten years ago because interest rates were at a 300-year low. So that 40% in corporate, corporate and bonds and government debt was always going to struggle. And so that is why, in our opinion, 
equity only is the right way forward. What frightens me is that so many people do not know what is underneath the bonnet of their personal pension, their investment bond, whatever it might be. And as you've just said, uh, John, when you find out what's under there, it's too late because time has eroded the real value of some of that capital and the incompetency of the, your fund manager will only be visible when it is too late. Hence why we are quality blue chip international equity. This industry does far too much box ticking and 60-40 is just another one. If everyone starts doing something, you're going to destroy what was supposed to happen in the first place. If everyone does, for example, 60-40, 60% equities, 40% bonds, how can it work for everyone once everyone starts doing it? I mean, it's common sense. Why would you automatically, in a knee-jerk fashion, have 40% in bonds? I don't know. If I was crossing a road, I wouldn't not look 40% of the time. <laughs> You have to look at the values that are on offer at that moment in time. So the fact that bond yields were so low, I mean, don't forget, at one point, bond yields were negative. Do you remember a couple of years ago? In fact, I think Nestle got a bond away at a negative gross redemption yield. Well, why wouldn't you? If people were queuing up to take a loss on a bond that you were offering on the basis that bonds were getting bought in by central banks and therefore they may buy a bond in or continue buying bonds in at rates that were even higher than than they were now. I mean, that's just greater fool investing. And we can now see who the greater fools were. Nestle weren't foolish. They actually got the money away. So effectively, they're benefiting now from free money. It's cheaper than free money because they're going to have to pay back less because of inflation. Exactly. Why wouldn't you? So just to do something because it has become accepted wisdom is mindless. It may be that over large parts of history, 60% in equities, 40% in bonds delivered an acceptable return. But there are certain times when you have to look at the valuation of something and say, well, actually, this is 10% of the time or 1% of the time where that actually isn't going to deliver an acceptable return. It's going to destroy your returns. So you can't just in knee-jerk fashion do these kind of things and assume that they're always going to deliver something that's worthwhile. Or if you do, you're just, you're just walking around with a blindfold on. And on that happy note. <laughs> if you're managing money, you're, you're paid to think and you're paid to make decisions. You shouldn't be paid not to make decisions or to make relative decisions. If you're not making decisions, then you should be doing it. Yeah, I mean, our biggest criticism of the industry is that people are pigeonholed, shoehorned into a, a product which is off the wall and anyone can sell it. It's only the same as somebody selling you double glazing or selling you um, a motor car because your criteria is that I want five seats and I want to be able to pull a horse box. Unfortunately, this industry is a sales industry uh, and it's not an investing industry anymore. So thank you, everybody, for that insightful discussion. I was thinking when we were chatting that instead of us quoting Warren Buffett, we really ought to quote John Newsom. I'll give you a, an absolutely marvellous one, I think. Doing something because it's accepted wisdom is mindless. I mean, I totally agree with you. We just cannot see how 
the vast majority of this profession, call it a profession if you will, just follows the herd. Another concept we discussed was looking under the bonnet of investments. Now, personally, I'm not very good at looking under the bonnet of a car, but that doesn't really matter because I'm pretty good at looking under the bonnet of an investment. And we can help you see what really you're buying. And that's what's important. We buy assets because we want to hold them long term. We don't buy products, derivatives, you name it. We just want value for money that gives us a long term return. So I hope you've enjoyed that. Do, as I say, uh, pass it on to your friends because it's well worth listening to. And by the way, if ever you want to speak to the authors themselves, just give us a ring. The number's on the website. We'll be very, very happy to talk to you. Bye. This material shouldn't be considered as advice or an investment recommendation. You should consult an advisor regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority prior to making investment decisions. All investments carry a degree of risk. The value of any investment or income received from it can go up as well as down and you may not get back the amount invested. Information recorded within this podcast was accurate at the time of recording.